Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast. This being episode 939 of the Big MX Radio Podcast. This is the first podcast that I'm doing from my brand new, my first home here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I've always been from Winnipeg, but I spent the last five years renting an apartment. Finally broke away from that, and this is the first one in my brand new office, my brand new studio. And with us on the line, who better to have on uh, than the number 10 in your program, likely number one in your hearts, especially if you're a, a lover of a great story like I am. Justin Brayton, welcome back to the Big MX Radio Podcast. Thanks for having me, and uh, congratulations, man. It's always nice to move into a new spot and uh, have a new office, so congratulations on that. Appreciate that, my friend. I really do appreciate that. I, I for the first time, I'm doing this in, in a real studio. I've built it so that the the set should sound really good. Um, and like you and I were both creatures of habit. We don't like to feel not settled. And I've been super not settled the last week, but I finally have most of my stuff unboxed. I know where everything is. My ducks are sort of in a row, and uh, and that's what's opened up some time to be able to uh, welcome you back to the show. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, the, it's funny you say unsettled. Uh, I, I used to feel really uneasy, wanted to have control of everything. And as you know, in, in any sport, it's hard to do. Well, then then you start to have kids, and uh, I threw all that out the window. So uh, I'm unsettled all the time now and just roll with the punches with three kids. So, uh, yeah, ju- juggling a lot, but it's awesome. Awesome to be a, a dad and business owner and racer and all of it so yeah well look out on your sh- your shelves for the next book coming out at barnes and noble by justin brayton uh, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable that's right that's right that's that's life right that's that's just life and the older you get the more you appreciate it uh, but it's funny when you're younger especially me you know coming up as a racer and you there's there's a lot you can control with racing uh, you you know how hard you work and your diet and your technique and, and all of it, but it seems like once the gate drops, there's there's quite a few things out of your control, and I think uh, for a lot of athletes that that's tough. But you just you get used to it as a racer, right? And try and control the things you can control, and uh, hope the hope the best for for the rest of it. Absolutely no, and that's where some frustration can certainly boil over. And maybe we talk about that a little bit uh, later on in the show, talking about uh, the your your most recent championship uh, coming to a close with the World Supercross. But uh, before we get to World Supercross, let's talk about your newest venture in uh, the world of motocross. Um, I'm sure you probably loyal listener to the Big MX Radio podcast. You listen to a couple of episodes and you're like. I can do what this guy does. Uh, they make you uh, the um, Grand Marshal of the Daytona Supercross. Uh, of course, you and Daytona Supercross synonymous with your one Supercross win. And uh, oh, you, of course, Justin Brayton, so well known for your, your, your Daytona performances. Um, but that wasn't the first time we've seen you uh, with a microphone in hand. Um, that's a really cool transition that you've made. Um, and like you said right off the hop, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, a microphone in your hand, and doing your best impression of Jason Wagan. <laughs> That's right. He's, he's going to be hard to match. Weege is, is one of the best, right? But, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I go back to 2021. I got injured 
and went on race day live at the Orlando Supercross. Just had a great time. I was on for an hour or two and had a blast. Had a lot of uh, uh, kind of good, I, I guess, kind of received a lot of praise, I guess, for my uh, articulation of what the guys were doing and what they were feeling. And I was just so fresh off the motorcycle ride. Right? I mean, I was on the track the weekend before and, and I just loved it. I love talking about what the guys are going through and from my perspective, what I would have done or what they maybe should have done or what they were thinking and the bike setup and how it's going to evolve throughout the day. And, and then uh, later that year I, I was out, you know, with an injury still and an opportunity came up to do the whole show at Salt Lake City, so to sit in for Daniel Blair, he was going in the booth, and they needed kind of a replacement last minute, and I said, absolutely, and had zero training, obviously, it was just, you know, thankfully, throughout my career, I have had the microphone in my face quite a bit with just doing interviews, but I'm on that side of the fence, right, I'm, I'm basically answering the question that I know the answer to, because I'm telling right. it in my words, so then I'm on the other side of the fence of a script, and, and all of it, so uh, like we said before we push play on the podcast, like it's much, much more difficult than people think. Uh, but I've really enjoyed it. It's been a cool transition. And I think of other sports, you know, I think of the NFL. Uh, mainly I'm a big Troy Aikman fan. And you see a lot of the ex-NFL athletes, once they retire, going into broadcasting. And there's a lot of seats in, in the NFL for an ex-player to be a broadcaster. Well, right. in our sport, there's, two, maybe three seats. And yep. to be, you know, chosen to, to be on one of those seats part-time, you know, I only did six races this year, but to even be considered was, was really cool and thankful for that experience and uh, learned a ton. But I think for every athlete, when they're done racing or done playing football or done driving NASCAR, they there's a void, right? There's something that you need to fill that. And I believe it's turning the page on – on kind of what you're passionate about and trying to stick around in the sport. And in our sport, it's, it's pretty small, you know, and, and so how do you stick around? Well, a lot of guys go be a riding coach or a manager or whatever it is. And, you know, for some reason, broadcasting, uh, you know, kind of didn't fall on my lap by any means, but I got the opportunity to do it. So I jumped on it and here we are. I mean, did uh, 10 rounds of the arena cross series with Daniel Blair on, on Fox Sports 1, and then was able to do Race Day Live, did six races there, and uh, just had, had a lot of fun, man, really really enjoyed it, uh, not sure where it will go from here, but definitely going to pursue it and, and see what happens. Absolutely, and uh, you hit the nail on the head, man, as far as the announcing the like televised like the the televised North American racing is essentially a two or three person job for the entire world. There's that that many people in the entire world who can do that job. Uh, when you compare that to say the the NFL, 32 teams, uh, 16 games. Uh, there's going to be a, a whole a radio broadcast for the for each home team and one television broadcast. That's a grand total of 96 jobs just in football alone. That's just in the NFL, never mind college football and everything on top of that. Um, 
but you were able to seize an opportunity, a great one that was offered to you, and you ended up being able to run with it. I, I imagine that uh, guys like Daniel Blair, great guy, Jason Wagant, great guy, uh, even uh, RC, obviously, I've, I've spoken with him a few times, um, and, and he's obviously made that transition as well. All three of those guys, uh, probably great resources to you, as well as Will Christian, who's been on the floor with you as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great team, and, and, you know, it's funny being a racer, and you watch it back, and you love when Ricky says your name, or you love when Weeds talks about you, or Daniel, or Will interviews you before or after the race, and, you know, you always kind of, people critique, right, especially today's day and age, oh. and it's so funny now that I'm on that side of the fence, and I did mention it earlier about how much more difficult it is than people actually think, and... I just, some of the keyboard warriors, it just, it's crazy to think that, look, it's live television, so you're on the fly, and literally everything's happening so fast, and Ricky especially, in in the booth, and being the analyst, it's like you're trying to analyze all these things that happen so, so quick, and, they, and you don't get a break, right, where NFL, there's the play, and then there's a break, that Troy Aikman can analyze it and say, oh, here's what happened this past. The guy, you know, he was going to run a, this route, messed it up, blah, blah, blah. Well, Ricky's having to call it as turn by turn and whoop by whoop and pass by pass and 22 guys on the track, and it's so, so difficult. So I just find it quite funny, and and Ricky takes it really well, but the, the keyboard warriors on social media and stuff that just, you know, oh, he didn't do this, he didn't mention this sponsor, and he should have done that better, and it should have, should have, should have. It's like, well... I challenge anybody to go up there and try that job. And it's oh, yeah. way more difficult than anybody ever thinks. Live television is extremely difficult. And then for me doing the race day live stuff, it's a really good starting point for me because we do have more time. I can analyze a little bit more. We have some breaks in the qualifying. We have big breaks, you know, that will go to Clint Fowler or we'll go to Daniel and Ricky in the booth and we'll talk to them. And, and I love dissecting and analyzing and, telling more stories and you have more time to do that. So I've really enjoyed that side of it. Um, and then when you talk about the NFL, you mentioned the however many jobs, uh, 97 jobs, but then you think of NFL Live and the yeah. NFL Today. Like there's so many other ones too. So there's hundreds of jobs. Uh, but like I said earlier, there's two or three in our sport. And uh, yeah, I don't take it lightly that, that uh, you know, I've gotten this opportunity and, and you know, but, like anything you got to do a great job as well and if i do a, a really good job then they'll have me back if i don't they won't right and that's just how it goes and uh i feel like i'm doing uh a, a good job so far so we'll see where it goes certainly and that, that sort of spins back to being able to control what you can control and and that is your your preparedness when it comes time to getting ready for shows and like even even for guys like uh, Ricky, who's been doing this, like I remember, he he was in the booth back in two thousand and four when he had his knee re- uh, knee replaced or knee knee fixed. Um, and yeah, like like was he unbelievable his first time out? And and does he still have room for improvement? Absolutely. But when uh, when it comes down to like the the greatest athletes in the sport, whether it's Ricky Carmichael, Jeremy McGrath, James Stewart. If you ever have an opportunity to have guys like that in the booth, guys like yourself who have raced at the pinnacle of the sport, who who understand what the bike's doing, what the the, the jump sequences are like, what the strategy might be, because like I I've 
I watch a lot of races. I've watched a lot of old races, new races, whatever. But I don't have the same perspective that you do, Justin. Like I, I can't put myself in the, the the mind of a racer because I've never been in the situation of jumping a supercross triple, landing with my uh, my inside leg out, and then jumping into a, a, a two over table into the next section. I'm, I, that's not within my skill set, uh, and that's really your leg up. Uh, in, in being able to uh, um, bring that to the fans. And, and like you said, it's not like a football game where uh, there's there's a play and then they analyze what happened, why like what the progression was for the receivers. Literally, you have a play-by-play guy and a color analyst basically trying to like, they're like dueling dragons throughout the broadcast of when to jump in, when not to <laughs> jump in. It's it's honestly, it's, it's very delicate. And it's honestly something that not even I've had to deal with a lot when I do like trackside announcing. I'm usually just up there by myself. I'm just talking to myself for, for, for 10 hours straight. Uh, balancing that with somebody else, especially if you haven't worked with them very for very long, like hats off to you, man. Like uh, I'm sure you've got, you even you feel like you've got a long ways to go, but you're doing great so far. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, to your point about getting the best guy, it's really cool that we can have right now. We've had James and Ricky in the booth. Obviously, Ricky's been a part of the broadcast team for a long time now, and I love that because anything they say, you have to listen, right? If Michael Jordan's talking about a game of basketball, you better listen because everything he says. But the unique part that I have, those guys were champions and the best ever, like you said, right? But the unique perspective I have is is I can relate from the guy who to won the race or is winning the race to the guy who's in 20th because I've been – all of those, right? I've been the guy that showed up to a Supercross race just hoping to qualify. Then I then I qualified. Then I got my first top 10. Then I was just hoping to get in a top five. And then you get some podiums. You know what I mean? So I've lived kind of the life of all of them. Yeah, so that's what I feel very like true. I can bring a little, a little bit different perspective than even Ricky and James can because they don't really know what it's like hoping for a top 10 because if they got second on the night it was it was a disaster most of the time right they they were paid to win and wanted to win and did win uh so that's where i think it's cool for me to have won uh never won a championship i've won championships other places right five in australia and won races all over the world and was only able to win one in in america with the daytona supercross but a lot of podiums led a lot of laps and you know was was top five in the championship multiple times, tied Dungey for third uh, overall in 2012. So that's the unique perspective I can bring. And then and knowing how important it is for a guy to get a top 10, their first ever top 10. Like I pay attention to all those little nuances, which once again, it's hard to do on the broadcast because you got to show the love to the front guys, right? That's what most people want to see. They want to see Cooper Webb and Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon battling out front. They don't really care about the guy who's getting eight most of the time, especially in the 255, because it's probably a guy most people have never heard of. But Race Day Live, we can bring light to those types of guys and uh, bring light to their sponsors that have worked so hard to fund those teams. And, uh, so, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a ton of fun. And um, like I said, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, back to the beginning, there's just limited seats. So you got to do a great job, and I'm working at it. But also the, the process like of, of racing and training and all that, that was, that's my favorite part of, of being a professional supercross racer is the process of it. Honestly, the race day is quite stressful. It's, there's a lot of pressure on all of us. So the process and, you know, you hear like ex NFL players say, Oh, what do you miss most? They're like, man, I miss the locker room. And yeah. That's what racers miss the most is that process of it. 
so in the preparation where that's my favorite part in there in doing that well now it's my favorite part with broadcasting because i want to learn something about chase sexton or i bring such a unique perspective as well because i mean i was testing jet lawrence's bike the week of daytona with the guys at the track so that's pretty cool i think i bring such a unique perspective of that i mean i rode chase's back rode kenny's bike for years you know with teammates with a lot of these guys so it can bring such a, a different unique perspective uh which which i think the viewers definitely value and, and i know the guys have told and nbc value that so uh yes yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun man that's for sure that's awesome. Uh, well, last couple questions about your your new broadcasting career before we switch things over to the uh, the two wheeled side of your career uh, and actually racing these damn things. But uh, uh, have you have you listened back to yourself? Uh, and what was that process like for you? As well as like, has there been a moment where you just completely froze up and thought that you were completely silent? What which what felt like an hour, uh, and then you listened back to it, and it was it was two or three seconds. Yeah. It's funny, at first, I didn't want to listen to myself. It's kind of like watching myself at a race. Like I, So I, I paid a guy pretty much my whole career to film every lap of practice like during the week, and I studied and studied and studied. But when right. it came to the race, it was really difficult to watch myself because I knew I made so many mistakes, and I probably could have passed that guy there, man, that line. But, but racing is just so much different, right? It's, it's high pressure, and then I was once that race was over, I was on to the next. Well, Similar with the race day last thing, the first couple I, I didn't really watch back that much, and, and I said it to my wife, and she's like, "You, you have to watch. You studied yourself so much throughout your life racing, like that's part of it now." And so I went back and watched. Um, I started watching them right, and the cool thing was, well, I'll tell you two stories. The the first one was, to be honest, I was excited and proud of myself for how well I did the first week because. Of no direction, right? I'm just there, kind of winging it. I really no broadcast coaching, or so I just, I studied other guys, and I liked the way certain people did it. I didn't like how other people did it, so I wanted to be myself, but also throw in a mix of of guys that I respect. So I was happy with that. But then the hardest part, I would say, at first, especially the first weekend I did it, was when you're talking, you're on a script, right? And you I'm sure you know all this, but. Yep. When they throw it to break or, or something comes up, somebody crashes, the producers are in your ear talking to you a lot. And that was really difficult for me. Like, okay, JB, wrap it up. Well, I, when he said wrap it up in my ear, I just like, I kind of froze the first time. I'm like, well, wrap it up. Does that mean like stop and then Dan's going to start talking or they're going to throw it down to Katie or whoever's on the, like, so that was difficult is you're, you always have somebody talking in your ear about either the next segment or hey, you've got 30 seconds, or hey, you've got 10 seconds, or hey, throw it down to Lurch, or throw it down to Weed, or it's, it's constantly changing, right? So then I just got used to somebody in my ear all the time. But I would say that was, that was the number one challenge for me was you, you, you're in the middle of a point, you're talking about sex, this corner speed, and the way he stands up, and the why he's, you know, six-tenths faster than Eli, and then you all of a sudden got to, hey, wrap it up, throw it down, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. And then to make that process seem smooth was really difficult at first and it took some training no doubt no that's over the top like that reminds me of a time when i i got asked to co-host a show on espn radio uh side by to my left and right was jeremy mcgrath and ricky uh rick johnson 
and I don't even know how I got offered that. Dan McGranahan had something to do with it. Uh, but they just stuck a headset on my head and was like, all right, so we're going live in three, two. And I was like, oh, my. I was like deer in the headlights. <laughs> um, yeah. I had to just completely fake it till I make it. But yeah, they're literally like, you're having a conversation. And it's like listening to talk radio also in your ears, uh, which is a different skill set in and of itself. But uh, uh, good on you, man. Last question I had for, for you on the broadcast side of things is um, from the motocross side, who who like who do you take cues off of the most, uh, as well as from what other sport or is there a particular broadcaster that you really like the way they ask questions or uh, the way they uh, the like the way they use their announcer voice? Because at no point do I think that uh, Justin Brayton is welcome to Supercross. This is Justin. Br-. Like yeah, so I don't, you know what I mean. Like what, what's who, who yeah, who's yeah. your muse? Who who's your ins- your inspo? Well, outside of racing. Uh, I said it earlier, but Troy Aikman in the NFL, I think his his tone of voice is really mellow. It's like he never gets over-the-top excited because, look, when when you come on and and you got this really excited over-the-top, it's like I I feel like it's – there's a time and place, right? And I feel like, yeah, it's totally manufactured. Troy is so mellow. Like, even when they come on uh, for, for a game, it's like he's just spitting facts. He's a very factual guy. He's done his homework. He knows about the defensive tackle, the backup safety, the second string wide receiver. Like, he knows it all, and it's just natural. It comes off really smooth, and it's just like he's having a conversation with Joe Buck. I mean, yeah. where when guys get over the top and they get, especially when you come on air, right, if you're just, oh, my God, I'm so excited for this race tonight. I'm just, I, I kind of like, all right pretty manufactured there's other ways to get the audience intrigued by i think just giving them information on things they may not know or uh and the racing will bring the excitement let that same with the nfl the the plays and the touchdown passes will bring excitement excitement wait for that uh and i could be totally wrong this is just me like i said i'm very limited coaching or anything this is just what i what i have witnessed throughout the years um, and then you're right. I'm not the type of guy who would be totally fake if I was over the top. I and mean, if I was trying to be lurch or trying to be excited like Weege, it wouldn't come off right. When they do it, when Weege does it, it's like, man, it draws you in. Like, he's the guy for that. You know, he's, he has the voice for it. Where for me, and, and I have been told, like, hey, man, you should have your own style. Just like riding a motorcycle, you don't ride like Dungey Road or you don't ride like the Lapoto Road you have your own style and there's no one way to do it, but find your own style. And for me, I think it's similar to Aikman. Now I'm even close to him, but I'm just saying like, that's who I would emulate after, I guess, if I was to pick one guy, very factual, very, I don't really want to call it monotone. It's not monotone, but it's just really straight. It's just smooth. It's calculated. It's really, it's really smooth and calculated. And then he just knows his facts, man. If there's some, if, two quarterbacks get hurt he knows 15 facts about the third string quarterback and and i love that because i'm that same way with racers like the lcq comes on i know a lot about the lcq guys because i was one of those guys at one time one time years ago but you know what i'm saying so but then in the industry i mean obviously i look up to weeds because he can you can throw weeds in any scenario at any race and he's gonna it's gonna be perfect i mean he could call like, it's, he's just really, really good at his job. And then, honestly, Daniel Blair has helped me a ton. He, he basically got me that arena cross 
Yeah, he pushed for the race day live thing. Because That's awesome. we did a few things together on, on race day live, you know, when I was a, a racer and, and him and I had some great chemistry and I think I brought up some good points about what the racers were going through. So I really look up to Daniel. Daniel and I raced together way back in the day. He stayed with me in California for years. He's an arena cross guy. So we have a lot in common. Um, obviously he's going more on the play by play side, but then he has to go back to the analyst job for race day live. So I respect what he, he's jumping around and that's, it's gotta be really difficult. People don't realize how tough that is to put on those different hats. And then all of a sudden bang, they're live on NBC. Here you go. You know, and, and then the next weekend he's race day live analyst. And then the next weekend he's, you know, kind of jumping all over. So, uh, respect those guys. And, but all of them, I mean, Ricky's came a long way. He's worked at it and worked at it. And it's very, very rare, even if in other sports to get the best, you know, they obviously call him, the goat and to have the greatest of all time in basketball or football they rarely go in the booth you know or or you know michael jordan i think or yeah you know, like wayne gretzky really anything like that yeah they they rarely go so i think we're really lucky and we should feel fortunate that we have a guy like ricky that's, that's willing to spend his time because look we all know he's got plenty of money to sit at home or go on his boat in destin and just oh, yeah. disappear but he, he chooses not to and uh, I think we have to respect that. So, uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I mean, it's there's so many of them. It's a really tough job. I think Fro did a great job when he did it. Ralph was great. Like uh, Lee Diffie is incredible now. Todd Harris, I remember that voice from the early 2000s. So that's always fun to hear. And, um, but yeah, the the list is long. There's uh, they all have their own unique skill set. That's for sure. Yes, and you're and you are now part of that list, my friend. Uh, so congratulations to you on that. Um, I know I said we do thirty minute podcast. We just talked for twenty five minutes and forty five seconds about broadcasting specifically. So we might have to uh, get a little bit extra mileage out of your current I got, drive. I got uh, I got plenty of time. I got another forty five minutes or so driving. So all perfect. Good. Well, we'll uh, we'll eat some of that up uh, here shortly. So. Um, you're, you're a factual guy, smooth operator on and off the track, um, and you're going to be basically you're, you're rolling back into uh, a full race mode for World Supercross, which they just announced uh, a brand new uh, broadcasting package. It's FS1, it's D Zone, as well as um, uh, what's the one in uh, Europe? E Star. I can't remember what the one is in Europe, but it's going to be on three different uh, networks, uh, whether it be North America or on uh, a streaming platform like DZone, which is really good because that's literally like globally, uh, which is obviously for global supercross. That's kind of their thing. Um, you yourself looking for uh, for a championship that honestly, like I, I really kind of had you pegged as somebody who uh, could certainly knock down that championship. We've seen you... Uh, win races against the best in the world regardless of who shows up in places like Geneva and Paris and, uh, and obviously you've had a lot of success in Australia um, what's been the, the the return to racing program like for you uh, what comes back right away what's the last to come back and uh, yeah like uh, gearing up for another racing season my friend you're back at it yeah, yeah, going to be back at it. And, you know, it kind of goes back to earlier what we were talking about with guys when they're done with their career. I'm thankful that I've been friends with guys in all different sports that have retired, and I've leaned on them a lot in the past several years. And, and guys even in our sport have conversations with Jeremy McGrath and Chad Reed and, and uh, 
guys like that over the years. Of like, man, when is when is time? And and uh, I've been, I guess, good at knowing when it's time to cross things off the list and not just shut it off. Because I'm definitely the type, and talking to these athletes throughout the years of just shutting the faucet completely off is really really difficult. So I've never wanted to do that. So I knew that when I was done with motocross at the end of 2016. I knew Supercross only was going to be hard to do. I mean, McGrath could pull it off and Kevin Wyndham could pull it off, but Chad Reed could pull it off. But for me to pull it off was going to be difficult because the teams, all the factory teams, you know, I didn't have the horsepower to go to factory, you know, any factory team and say, hey, pay me this and I'm just going to do Supercross. And and especially at that time now, looking back, I, I and such, but I wanted to put together this program I knew, I was, knew I was done with motocross. I'd gotten injured. I wasn't that great of a motocross guy. It was all I could do to get. I got several podiums, but just throughout years and, and uh, just wasn't really enjoying it. Started having, some, you know, had my first child that just like, man, I want to spend some summers doing something different. So I knew when that was time to cross that off the list, but also knew, all right, uh, I've always had kind of a number in my head that makes some sense to go racing for the, the risk and, and the travel and all of it. And, I did, thankfully, with my relationship with Honda and the relationship with promoters and such around the world that Supercross only did Australian Supercross and did that for several years. was really successful doing it. I had some of the best years of my career in, in AMA Supercross here and then was able to travel the world in Australia and Europe and, and uh, take my family along and had a great time. And, and then, obviously, there becomes a time when it's like, all right, well, American Supercross is so competitive. And I'm a pretty realistic guy that I, I got some top fives last year, but they were getting harder and harder. And, you know, it, it was just getting difficult to ride up the front. And I felt like it was time to hang the boots up for American Supercross. But once again, I don't just want to shut it completely off. I just want to kind of ease out of it. And World Supercross comes about. And it's the perfect program for me right now where I'm at in my career. It's six races. I'll potentially do a couple in Australia as well. So, you know, you do six to ten races a year for maybe a couple of years, and then you get opportunities like this broadcasting thing, and I own a couple motorcycle dealerships in Charlotte. And I guess it starts to become a little clear what my life will look like after racing because I've been able to spend some time away and feel like, you know, what, what's it like to be home on the weekends? Because, look, we're we're hardly ever home on any weekends when you're doing yeah. Supercross and Motocross. So, I was able to do that without doing motocross. I'm like, man, this is really nice to get a couple months off and go home to Iowa and spend a month with my family and my kids get to know my family. And, and then, yeah, then you just cross things off the list. And now I'm 39 years old and I'm going to race a little bit. You know, it's not, it's obviously a really high level, but it's not 17 weeks with the best guys in the world with the preparation. Like I just, I can't put in that, sort of preparation anymore with three kids and businesses and you know still trying to be a good husband and stuff so uh cross that off the list like i said and do some world supercross and i definitely still believe i could go win some races and potentially win the championship um especially you know it's like the old song that may not be as good as i once was but i'm as good once as i ever was right so <laughs> yeah i feel like with as uh might not be that good as a almost 40 year old for 17 weeks in a row and eight months out of the year but 
I can assure you I'll be good for six races spread out over the year. So uh, that's kind of my outlook on that. It's really cool that they're that they're doing it, um, and it just fits in great to my schedule. That that's the main thing. Is before it came about, I was just planning to go Australia and some Europe races and such. So um, but yeah, still scratch that itch. And uh, whether I do it this year and next year, I'm not sure, but uh, I'll definitely do it this year. And see what happens. Absolutely no, I, I think it's great to to not uh, really pull like say like a Kevin Windham who essentially was like full bore racing hung up the boots and i think that was either i don't know what race it was that it was An- one of the anaheims the An- anaheim. yeah it was the yeah. An- anaheim two anaheim two but yep. and like essentially it was, it was exit stage left and aside from a very random uh sight seeing him at uh at redbud back in 2018 or 19 um it's it's been radio silence. You barely you barely ever see the guy. And for fans who like, I think you're you're a crowd favorite. I think you're a guy who uh, a lot of people like myself uh, like look up to and, and uh, have a really good connection with. Uh, that you're you're not just severing that completely, uh, letting people kind of hang on to you just a little bit longer, uh, while you hang on to racing a little bit longer as well, and be able to share that with your family as well. I love that you've been able to take your kids down to Australia. Um, those are the types of trips that families can only ever dream of, uh, and you're you're getting paid to to do what you love on top of it. It's kind of uh, uh, that's that's getting to uh, have your cake and eating it too, Justin. Um, but uh, good on you, man. I, I, I'm glad to see that that's worked out for you. It continues to work out for you, and uh, yeah, you haven't looked back. So uh, World Supercross is um, is kind of right up your alley, and it showed up at, at just the right time. Yeah, exactly. The timing of it was pretty crazy. And I've known those guys for a long time, Adam Bailey and his crew, obviously from Australia, promoted the AusX Open, which I've done for several years. They promote the Australian Supercross Series as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's been fun. And like you said, the the timing of it is, is really cool. And um, to still be able to scratch that itch, like I said, is really important for me, for my mental health and, and just physically like I just feel so much better when I have that like I wake up with that passion and because um, I've once again I've lived several months without that right so I know what I feel like without it uh, in particular uh, spending the whole winter in, in Iowa this year I realized that and that, that's not me and I gotta I gotta get out and race and challenge myself all the time and try to do something at the highest level and train every day and and uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing with World Supercross. I'm more, honestly, looking out for my mental health and physical health, um, just as much as I am for, you know, my family and supporting them. And um, obviously, it's a choice at this point. Don't really have to go do it, which is really cool and awesome because I've always thought that. And I kind of close circle around me is like, man, what's the goal with this racing? Well, it's obviously to to make some money but obviously uh, it's the thing i love the most and then when you're done racing it's what i help a lot of current riders with is just you want to you want to have a choice when you're done right uh, barring an injury but even just the money you've made and um, you don't want to sit around i mean i can i think any any sport right there's you know i don't want to keep going back to Detroit, but, but you see the biggest guys and the biggest sports that have so many millions of dollars still doing something they're still on NBA countdown and they're still broadcasting. They're still kind of grinding, starting their own businesses. So 
Yeah, um, a guy like Shaquille O'Neal. Like, that guy yeah, never has exactly. to work another day in his life, and he, he shows up. Totally, totally. So that's for a lot of the racers. You know, you just hope that for them. That they, they, no one's really going to retire, right? I mean, you could. Ricky could. James probably could. Chad probably could. But none of them want to. And, you know, James is coming back around, and Chad is looking for his next thing. You're always going. So for me, I just always wanted to have a choice of what was next. And I, and I have that now, and I'm choosing to go ride my motorcycle at a high level still. And, and look, I, I don't want to say I changed the game by any means, but look how much older the field is right now. Like, it's crazy yeah. to see how guys are hanging around. And obviously, I'm really close with Ken Roxon, and we talk about it all the time, man. I'm just like, there's been times when he said he wanted to be done, and, and this is years ago. And I'm just like, man, you, you don't. Trust me. I, I've lived that. I sat with Coy Gibbs in his office in 2013 and told him I wanted out of my contract, and I was done racing. That was 2013. And Ten years ago. So Holy crap. I did, You're 29. Yeah he, he, yeah, he spoke some great words. Like, just trust me. He's, you know, rest in peace, Coy Gibbs. But yes, sir. he had some great insight. He, comes, he was very wealthy. He had everything at his fingertips. And he's like, trust me, man, the other side's not easy. It's not any easier. What you're doing right now is is, is not easy, but it's, it's harder out there, basically. And just get through this. You're struggling a little bit. Our bike's not that good, but we're going to get through it. And we did. And here we are, like you said, 10 years later, still racing. And, um, and yeah, you're seeing Eli race longer. You're seeing Barsha race longer. You're seeing Anderson. And all these guys, they don't have exit plans to be out tomorrow. They're like, man, this is pretty awesome. I'm starting to have a family. I'm enjoying it. I'm making a million bucks or a couple million bucks. Like, this is awesome. I'm traveling. I can maybe not train as much because I'm a little bit older and got some muscle memory and I know how my body feels and reacts and works. And I know what I want out of a motorcycle and I know how to communicate with my team better than ever now. So there's so many things that you do better at 30 or 35 than you do at 25. So I'm glad to see it. And, uh, you know, I was getting crap there for a while. It's like getting podiums as a 30, 34 year old and winning a race at almost 34 and getting the podium at, at 38 years old and like man look at other sports you know the proof's in the pudding you got Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and LeBron James and the best of the best still still getting after yeah imagine if you got traded to uh, the New York Jets how would you feel about that well I think you kind of wanted that right yeah, that's what he, he was asking for it. I don't know if yeah. uh, yeah. Zach Wilson's very uh, very pumped about it. Um, uh, but bottom line, Justin, it has been a long time since we saw you with some very bushy eyebrows, by the way, on Motor World Yamaha. <laughs> um, like it, it's been yeah. a, it, it has been a minute, even back to your two stroke days racing Arena Cross back when they used to one twenty five two fifty. Uh, a couple of carbureted motorcycles underneath you. Uh, I gotta imagine at some point d- throughout your career, um, you've like you, you already kind of spoke about uh, back in 2013, where you've had a bit of a crossroads. I gotta imagine that you had even more of those moments prior to that, like sitting on the line at a, at a LCQ, being like, "This is maybe like I, I don't know if I want to keep signing up for this much nerve wracking uh, moments on a on a Saturday evening." Uh, care to get into a few of those for me? Yeah, for sure. And, and dealt with that a lot, you know. And I think if you, if every, if you lined up all the racers that are on the starting gate, 
I think you could hear a different story from all of them about times they felt like they wanted to be done and felt, you know, there's just, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of travel. There's, there's a lot of training. There's so much that goes into it, right? That it can seem overwhelming at times and you got anxiety because you didn't get the results. And then the biggest thing for me was living and dying by that number that I got on Saturday night. Once I got over that, my life totally changed. Like if I would get eight on Saturday night at an Anaheim or something, I felt like my world was just crumbling and sponsors weren't happy and the team wasn't happy and none of my friends were calling because I didn't have a great ride. And then you'd go get second the next weekend and your phone's blowing up and every media member wants to talk to you. And now the gear companies are, you know, making you special gear and doing this. Like there's, it's just such a peaks and valleys sport. And once, you know, once I started having a family, met my wife Paige in, in, uh, in the 2010, that's when things really started to be a little bit more clear for me when it was like, and you don't really have to live and die by this result. Your friends are your friends. And if they're going to be friends with you or call you because you got first or third or whatever, uh, they're probably not your friends anyway. So, but I do feel like people struggle with that even today is just, man, just living and dying by that, that number. Right. And, and it's difficult because it is a, it's a competitive sport that you're, you're paid by your results. And if you're not getting results, you don't have a job. So I, I understand that. I understand that you still got to be a little bit bummed if you, if you don't do well. But um, having my life revolve around that number was difficult. And like you said, 2013 was a tough year because, man, I, I just, the bike wasn't performing like it should have or like I wanted it to. I just came off 2012, which was the best year maybe of my career with, uh, several podiums uh, tied Dungey for third overall in the series and factory Honda and I was on top of the world and then I went back to JGR and that Yamaha at the time was just just simply wasn't good wasn't good enough especially compared to a factory Honda I wasn't doing that well and, and um, so yeah you just feel like you want to be done and um, and then I think about you know Unadilla uh, was it 2014 I think or 15, maybe I forget the exact year, but I left the track and I got like fourth overall that day, which was which was good for me. I think I went five four or something like that, four five. And I was like crying driving out of there. I was by myself, none of my team with me. It was just just me and lonely Unadilla, New York, and had a, had a good day. But I was just I was done. I was toast. I was over it. It was late in the year. I called my wife crying and said I didn't want to do it anymore. And so just battling those battles and living those week to week and then trying to get through it. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've lived that, right? And then you fast forward to the year like 2018 that I had. I mean, oldest ever won a Supercross and like I think I won four or five heat races in a row. I won a triple crown and podium after podium. Like, and I could do no wrong. I was hardly training during the week. I had couple kids like I just could do no wrong you have years like that you're like man I'm never gonna be done I'm gonna race till I'm 50 (laughs) and then the next year the motorcycle changes and it's like man here we go again uphill battle so I think you just the older you get which is kind of my point earlier about the older athletes are smarter and wiser and more efficient all of it right than a than a younger athlete um yeah I I just think the older you get the more equipped you are to deal with it and that's why I love helping the kids today and just kind of passing down things that I've learned and 
why you're feeling the way you are and why this team is doing this or that team's doing that. you got to communicate. I've lived all of it. So now at 39, yeah, I mean, if I go race World Supercross and I have fun and get some good results, awesome. If I go there and struggle, man, I, I don't – not that I don't care, but, man, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. So, uh, yeah, it's a good place to be, but – to your point, there's some struggles along the way, but to Coy's point as well, it's everywhere. That, that's just life, and the sooner you realize that, that it's not just racing, uh, the sooner better off you'll be, I guess. Absolutely. I, it's cool to hear that uh, that Coy meant that much to you, man. It seems like uh, he had a great impact on so many of the, the racers that probably mo- maybe the most misunderstood or, uh, like, character within the sport over the last 20 years someone who probably didn't let a lot of people yeah. in but those who did like tough exterior with the gooeyest center you ever did meet like i got to talk to the guy maybe twice uh he made fun of me for not having a degree in journalism and asked if i knew steve um and that was about it but uh great great guy and uh yeah i, I, I sorely sorely said, missed i hope you said uh I hope you said you didn't know Steve because if he if he knew that you knew Steve, you were going to get some extra crap. Him and Steve I, had a had a fun, cool relationship. Yeah, it was, it was fun to witness at times. I I did sell that I knew Steve, but I won him over by telling him that I played quarterback in high school. And then he said in Canada, he asked if it was in Canada. I said yes, and he told me that didn't count. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. I've I've got so many great coy stories, but it, it honestly took me a long time to break that shell i mean i was a little bit different because he's paying me right to get to get results and and the first couple of years i struggled with the team man i struggled so bad because moved to north carolina and it was raining and i couldn't ever ride and i just you know my last race in 2009 uh i won the last moto of the year at steel city so i signed with them and thinking man i'm on my way like i'm gonna race 450 supercross i'm gonna start winning some races and then the 2010 Yamaha came out. We got it super late. Couldn't ride it because it was raining in North Carolina. Like, there's just so many things that was difficult. And Coy just sat me down. I was like, what's up, man? Do you not like us or what? And I'm like, I just, I feel like my hands are tied. I cannot do my job properly for you because I want to ride all the time. And so we worked through that. And then I rode for him in 10 and 11. And then Honda 2012 came back in 2013 and 14. And that's when I really got to know Coy really well. Uh, still close with with his family, and um, I mean, my wife just went to lunch with with Heather, his his wife, uh, not long ago, and, and just seeking, you know, just advice, and and uh, they're just a, it's just a great family, man, and and we're all gonna miss him so much, but yeah, he he kept me on the straight and narrow, and like you said, it was really hard to get to know, but um, once you did, man, he. And he had his guys, you know, like if you were his guy and he was going to have your back until the day you died. And, uh, and that's just the way Coy was. And, and uh, like I said, we're going to miss him, but, uh, man, he had an impact on a lot of our lives that we'll never forget. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I appreciate you, uh, shedding some light on that because, uh, Coy was a great guy and, um, and made a huge impact on the sport, probably bigger than most people would even care to realize. Um, switching things back over to the, the, the Supercross side of things, 
what needs to happen for Justin Brayton uh, rolling out of this series to be able to say, like, we, we accomplished what we came here to do? Uh, anything outside of uh, championship do it for you? Well, like I said earlier, at this point in my career, do I think I can win the championship? I do. I mean, I I, I really do think that I could – these races, you know, like I, just, I think about Paris, you know, six months ago. I qualify fastest, faster than – Faster than Tomac, faster than Webb, faster than Marv, faster than Kenny. Come out in the first main, get second, right behind Eli. You know, pass Coop multiple times throughout that weekend and Marv and run right with Kenny and Eli. And that was a short time ago, you know, and, and I really do believe that I can run with anybody in the world uh, on any given weekend, you know. Um, so, yeah, could I go there and win some races and win the title? Absolutely. But – Am I gonna live and die by that? Probably not. Um, so, I think if I if I go there and and I'm competitive on on my motorcycle and I and I feel like good enough to do my job properly, which I know I will because I'm gonna be on the same motorcycle and same suspension and all that that I was in, in Paris. So, um, yeah, I, I think I could have a lot of fun and do really well and and um, yeah, hopefully win the title. If if not. I'll, I'll get beat by some really, really good guys. So that's, that's kind of all you can really take from it, right? I'm not going to yeah. get beat by any anybody that probably shouldn't beat me. I'll, if Whoever wins is going to be a great rider. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be competitive. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Whoever, yeah, whoever beats you, they'll, they'll have earned it. That's for damn sure. Uh, Justin Brayton here on the Big MX Radio Podcast. Justin, appreciate you making the time for the, the show, man. Uh, I promised you 30 minutes. Uh, you gave me 53. Uh, hopefully people really enjoy this. And, uh, yeah, once uh, you get a few World Supercrosses under your belts, uh, I have your number, so I'll just call you at a moment's notice. Perfect. Let's do it. Thanks for having me on. Congrats on your new office space. And uh, we'll chat to you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, let's cut it off right there. All right, guys. That was my interview with the Justin Brayton. It's always a pleasure to chat with a guy like Brayton, especially because the two of us don't get a lot of time to chat at a lot of races. Obviously, the ones he's at, he's super busy. And uh, with my schedule coming to a lot of races, uh, at least this year, hasn't really been a thing. Um, I was planning on going to Anaheim 1, had everything set up to do so, um, but unfortunately wasn't able to secure a media credential until about maybe Thursday or Wednesday, Thursday before the actual event. At that point, it was kind of too late. Uh, I needed to know a little, little bit more ahead of time that I was approved for that, uh, but that's the way the cookie crumbles uh, and not really what uh, you guys are too concerned about, but um, chatting with a guy like JB, a guy who I really look up to, someone who is just a consummate professional throughout his entire career, regardless of what manufacturer he's been on in the past, where he uh, ends up riding, his results, he'll always give you a good interview. Uh, I remember one time, I think we were standing on the floor, I want to say it was Phoenix, uh, and he was... Um, he was with uh, a particular team and uh, of course they had um, one particular brand of, of handlebars they were using and uh, 
um, mid-interview, I happened to uh, mention that uh, I had no idea that this brand also uh, made Renthal. And, of course, they don't. Um, it was uh, it was a preference of JB to uh, to run the the Renthal, Renthal twin, ball, twin, twin Wall Bars, which are, uh, for, like, a lot of people, like, love that bar. Uh, I, myself, I'm a crossbar guy. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the crossbarless bar. From just a look standpoint, I think the crossbar looks looks more correct. Um, although currently on my KTM, I do have a, a crossbarless bar. Uh, run the the Phoenix handlebars, obviously. Uh, but when it comes to uh, yeah uh, handlebars, JB Justin Brayton he chooses to use Renthal. Um, I think he's a nine nine seven guy, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, let's move on to some topics of conversation that I wanted to dig into. It's been a while since we did our last podcast um, and we have been a little bit inconsistent with it lately, uh, partly due to the trip that I made with Wes Williams and the boys of Verb, Chase Stallo, Brent Stallo, uh, as well as Spencer Owens and Jason Crane, who honestly, all five of those guys were absolutely amazing to work with. Uh, super professional, extremely good at what they do, but at the entire time, like we were just giggling like idiots at the Airbnb, um, bench racing and talking about the day. Uh, I'll do a separate podcast on the, honestly on just like some of the ins and outs of um, the things that we got up to. It was an absolute riot. I had so much fun chatting with those guys and getting to know them, getting to work with them. And now that I'm full-time at Verb, that is really cool uh, to be able to do and uh, and to share that with you guys. They have me doing some vlog stuff. I think they're flying me out for um, May 13th, which is, yes, the May 13th, 14th, 15th. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, May, May 12th, 13th, and 14th of next month um, for uh, Verbadilla. Uh, it's going to be a shred tour event. Um, they're going to have me doing some vlogs. Hopefully you guys went to verb moto on YouTube and checked out the vlog and uh, left some mean comments of how badly I did at it. Um, keep in mind, it was the first time I had ever operated a GoPro and the very first time that I had ever uh, filmed a vlog. Uh, and they made me do four of them, uh, in succession. So, um, yeah, kind of baptism by fire with those boys, but I appreciate it. I think, uh, I did a half decent job. So, um, next few uh, sort of topics are going to be sponsored by one particular uh, sponsor who happens to um, sponsor the Big MX Radio podcast. First and foremost, we have to talk about Racetech. Racetech engines are unbelievable. Just ask the guys over at Team Solitaire, Chris Elliott and those boys. They trust Racetech with their engines. So can you. And uh, their suspension happens to be second to none as well. Um, they've got service centers left, right, and center uh, across this nation and in Canada, um, whether it's uh, CJR suspension in Calgary or uh, or Phoenix in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, which is, of course, ran by Chris Blows. We'll get to him a little bit later. But Racetech, you can save some money by mentioning Big MX Radio with Racetech. Um, order from those guys, save some money. And uh, just so you guys know, uh, we have a gold valve kit uh, that is to be given away and it's going to be given away right now um all you have to do is email me at brad at verbmoto.com 
and uh, let me know why you need a set of gold valves for your bike. Would appreciate if you guys give me a little bit of a story. Uh, I'll sift through the many emails that I get. And uh, yeah, hopefully we hook you up with uh, with a gold valve kit to be uh, dropped into your suspension, and you'll be imp- you'll be impressed with the bottoming resistance as well as the plushness, uh, and just overall uh, better performance of your bike. All right, first topic: Max Anstey gets his first ever professional win on this side of the pond. Uh, yes, he won uh, MXDN at at Matterly Basin, um, like. I think that's the absolute pinnacle of all wins that you could possibly have, regardless of what country you're from, is to win motocross to nations it, at home. It, it does not get better than that. I, I truly, truly don't think it gets any better than that. I was really impressed with him, and he should be impressed with himself. I texted him right after the race, and uh, yeah, like hats off to a kid who has put in the time, uh, sacrificed, moved his family, um clawed scratched for everything that he's had over these years and he's put himself in a position to be successful i was just really stoked to see it uh of course he is an absolute mud monster of course madly basin was wet uh there's a bunch of other races that he has excelled at where muddy conditions it just it's it's a skill set as well as the willingness to just go out there and uh and have the confidence to send it and and uh have confidence in your abilities when it comes to max anstey the guy's done it numerous times before where he is extremely successful in the mud he carries that confidence into that main event and he straight up just makes it happen uh like the the key to being to to winning that particular race was obviously there's a lot of water on the track but it's not a complete quagmire it's not deep, deep mud. It's not like a, a a national that's been that's been ripped deep, and you're just gonna be slogging and paddling from from moto from the first like the gate drop. For the most part, the base is still really hard, and yeah, like there's gonna be some standing water on the track. But for the most part, like honestly, you can basically just send it, and like the front wheel is still going to be able to track, obviously you have to be a little bit more gingerly on the throttle, not to just be spinning everywhere, Um, but Max was really smart to go get himself a lead early, and essentially he just sat on it, yeah, like it it became, I think, as close as maybe like a half a second, maybe like maybe four or five bike lengths at the very end when Jet Lawrence was about to crush the hopes and dreams of the Englishman, but uh yeah it, it was max anstey's night and he ended up getting it done uh really like huge hats off to him i was impressed and uh yeah so should everybody else and that's just a feel-good story of a guy who has worked so hard for so long and he finally gets his um his his win uh on north american soil uh and that'll certainly put some wind into his sails as he sets his sights on the sx2 world supercross championship which of course he's going to be doing for the firepower honda team yareev and the boys are pretty excited about that also a huge shout out to to yareev koski who runs the firepower honda team a guy who has put in so much work and sacrificed this that, and he's actually a very like from a team manager standpoint he's not a whole lot different than max anstey um, but he's gone out and he's done the work and he spends the time and uh, yeah he's rewarded for it with a with the North American win and that's huge for those guys I think he, he certainly deserves it and uh, may that put enough wind in his sails to continue doing this for quite some time to come 
uh, good on him, uh, and good on him for, uh, uh, for Max Anstey as well. That uh, that bonus check is going to clear, and uh, yeah, would be surprised if that bonus check is uh, basically a mirror image of what he was going to be making all year long. Uh, so quite the payday, and uh, yeah, kind of act like you know that that was going to happen in the mud where uh, Max Anstey is just so, so strong. Next topic of conversation brought to you by Luxon MX. If you enter discount code BIGMX at checkout with Luxon MX, you're going to save 10% off your purchase. Now, they have some of the most incredible triple clamps that you can possibly put on your motorcycle. First of all, they're going to look awesome. Secondly, your bike is going to handle fantastically and you're going to save 10, 10%. So your average set of aftermarket triple clamps, they probably run you about $1,000. So 10% off your purchase, that's Big MX Radio and Luxon MX handing you $100 to go towards uh, your next bike build, your, the, putting, make, putting your bike in the best position to feel comfortable and, uh, and the performance gains are legitimate and uh, you're going to enjoy the way the bike feels and the way the bike responds with Luxon MX components on there. They also have components for the linkage system as well. So check that out. Go to the website, enter discount code BIGMX at checkout and save yourself 10%. So we didn't just have one first time winner of the year um, at New York, but we had two. Justin Barsha got his sixth Supercross win, now tying him with David Villeman with six wins on his career. Good on him for doing so as well, where he was able to be, uh, like, this is perfect scenario. This is maybe perfect scenario, but this is exactly the kind of race that you'd think that Justin Barsha would excel at. Obviously, he's always had a lot of skill uh, racing in the mud. Um, he's, he's no stranger to that whatsoever. And yeah, like, like to me, it was it was a no brainer. He was extremely successful. Uh, he put the bike where it needed to be. Kind of roughed up Sexton a little bit early in the race, but honestly, it's a mud race. Uh, you're going for a win, and no offense to Chase, but I don't think that Barsha loses any sleep over racing to win and putting himself in a position to be successful and win. Um, these main events, uh, we're talking a hundred thousand dollars bonus check for a win. Um, the, like he's, he's got a contract to continue racing forward, but regardless, like you are only going to win so many races. Like this was this, like he, he just put one sixth of his total wins together in that one night. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he went about it the right way. He was able to be, uh, consistent. He was fast. He was steady. Justin Barsha is uh, the working man's uh, racer. He's an extremely hardworking guy. He's extremely fit and uh, extremely calculated when it comes to, to the mud motos. Um, a guy who doesn't shy away from it. Very, very similarly to Max Anstey and as far as their approach because they know they're good in the mud. They know these guys have what it takes to to lead laps and be successful consistently lap after lap um, throughout the entire entire moto and I think that's really what carried Justin through this win like when everyone else has a lot to race for but maybe not as much uh, like it, like honestly I, I think that guys like Chase Sexton uh, Cooper Webb Eli Tomac a little bit of survivor mode 
if you, you kind of catch my drift, I think a few of those guys are just like, get me on to the next round. Hopefully I make up some points. Hopefully I do some damage control and uh, we leave in a good position to salvage this championship. Now, uh, Eli Tomac is, and we'll talk to him about him in a second here, but he's put himself in an even more, uh, in the completely in the driver's seat as they go down the home stretch here. Um, but Justin Barsha, it, it's amazing to see him do what he's done. He's been so successful for so many years. Um, that is his second win for TLD Gas Gas. Um, great to see him do that. He's been, he's just, he's, he's, he's been awesome. He, he, he led 12 laps. Uh, Roxon also had, had uh, a few laps led as well. And uh, yeah, like for all intents and purposes, these guys just put it together. It was a veteran performance. And uh, yeah, good on him to see that. I, I was really, really excited to see him uh, be as successful as he was. And uh, yeah, that the, the that check's gonna clear. Justin Barsha is um, is a, is a race winner for the year, and you can only say that about four guys right now. He currently sits fourth in points, uh, quite a few points adrift from uh, Chase Sexton, who is in third. Uh, but now he's put he's put a decent amount of separation. He's got six points between himself and Ken Roxon, who. I think average finish, you're going to see um, Justin maybe pull away from Kenny a little bit down the stretch. Uh, I think they're tied on podiums, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on the year, which is really encouraging to see. Uh, Obviously, they both have a win. Chase Sexton with three wins on the year, uh, which coming into the season, I believe he only had the one or maybe two wins total. Um, So he's like, he's just building right now. Uh, He's Essentially, he's out of this championship. Uh, it's 21 points with three rounds to go. Um, yeah, like it's, it's you're not you're not making up consistently seven points per round on Eli Tomac, even just to tie him. Um, so it's not mathematically impossible. It's completely improbable. Uh, but Chase Sexton is essentially out of this championship. Uh, he ends up. Uh, fourth on the night, 19 points, not not, not going to get it done. Uh, he qualified well. Uh, he had a decent start. Obviously, him him and uh, Barsha get together early, and uh, and that was sort of uh, he was battling back from that ever since. Um, but for all intents and purposes, uh, not the worst night. Like not the worst night in the world for Chase. Uh, I'm sure he like uh, Cooper Webber would have preferred to be one uh, one step even closer, but. It's the way she goes. Um, so now Webb currently sits nine points back in this championship. Three rounds to go. Got to get three points each each round. Um, and even if he's able to do it, he would end up with five wins on the year. And if it if say he get like this is dumb math, but if he wins every race and Eli Tomac gets second every race, it's a three points. They would tie. And the, the tiebreaker, of course, is total wins on the year. And that would, of course, go to Eli, who has seven wins. The most Cooper could get this year is five. Um, but even still, I don't see... Uh, it's actually 11 points. Never mind. It's not nine points. It's 11. So throw that out the window. A uh, few people were probably just shaking their heads and like being like, you don't even... Like, this guy doesn't know math. Like He must be a bricklayer or something like that. But uh, regardless... Let's talk about Tomax Night in a segment that is brought to you by Guts Racing. Guts Racing, unbelievable seat covers, seat bases, seat foam, and you can save 20% 
with Guts Racing with Big MX 20 at checkout. Save some money. Have your bike handle uh, feeling better beneath you. They have um, you can get like you can I think you can special order at the seat that Dean Wilson where uses where uh, he's got a, like a little bit of uh, extra material, more foam on the sides of the of the of the of the seat. Admittedly, it's not the most beautiful looking setup in the world, but if it allows him to hold on to the motorcycle that much better, believe it or not. You might be onto something, and uh, yeah, being connected to the motorcycle and going fast is a whole lot more important than looking cool. Um, Guts Racing has some of the coolest looking stuff out there. Don't get me wrong, I love my Guts Racing seat cover that I have for my Kawasaki, or my Kawasaki as well as my KTM. Um, but uh, yeah, that uh, the option of having uh, some extra material on the sides of the seat might just be the difference between you holding on to your bike or not. All right, so um, there's like. There's laps led is all over the place with these guys. Of course, the most laps led is Eli Tomac with 83. Of course, Jason, Jason Anderson is still credited with zero laps led, even though he won, if I think, two different triple crown. And he won the second race in two different triple crowns, which just kind of blows my mind. He has zero laps led. Like, they couldn't... The, the fact that, like, the AMA can't actually just go in and, like, change that number, because obviously, like, and... Like, and like put the that number in afterwards because there is season statistics like this is just a uh like a like an excel file like you can you can edit these numbers uh but they choose not to uh which is awesome but whatever um like i said there's five guys who have wins so far in this this series and the the guy who has the most amount of wins is Eli Tomac he matches last year's win uh win total uh, two weeks ago when he ended up getting the win. Um, and now he puts himself in an 11-point advantage rolling into the last three rounds. And honestly, I, I can see him winning one or two more down the stretch and just putting a big old stamp on this thing, heading to the outdoors. Um, I don't, like, bygone are the days of um, sort of talking about, okay, like, Tomac has the the points lead with three rounds left. Does he start doing some outdoor testing? Of course they do some outdoor testing uh, here and there. Uh, Star Racing Yamaha, I don't know who they have doing a lot of their sort of product testing and testing testing the bike in general, but I'm sure the bike is going to be ready to go, ready to rip, come outdoors, and when it comes to getting a bike completely set up for Supercross, for outdoors, in my opinion, a little bit easier than Supercross. And of course, Eli is a three-time champion, uh, I guess four-time champion now, uh, outdoors. So um, yeah, I don't think he's going to have any tr- any trouble whatsoever getting the, uh, the Yamaha set up, even though this is a new model year for that bike. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be just fine on the brand new Blue Crew. Uh, he, he had the, the damage control this weekend, gets himself a second spot, uh, gains points o- over everybody who mattered. Uh, except for, of course, Justin, Justin Barsha, but, uh, he's too many points adrift. I don't think he's completely mathematically eliminated from the championship, but he might as well be. Um, so it's, uh, it's looking that way right now, uh, which is fine. 
Um, yeah, like I, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an Eli Tomac fan. Uh, I like to see uh, the most talented and hardworking guys in the classes do well. Um, you're splitting hairs when you talk about the top six, seven guys in this class. But um, yeah, like Eli Tomac continuing to dominate, continuing to work, uh, work hard and, uh, and get the results. That's, uh, yeah, I got time for that every day of the week. All right, let's move on to the next segment, which is brought to you by W Wheels. Best wheel sets in America, and you can save, I believe it's 15%. I could be wrong. It could be 10%. I'll have to message John Anderson and find out. Um, Big MX Radio saves you. When you mention Big MX Radio, ordering from WUSA. So if you're ordering a set of wheels, or maybe if you're just getting yourself some, uh, your uh, hubs cre- uh, uh, coated, or you're getting just like you can just buy the components from them. Like they sell nipple kits, they, uh, they sell spoke and nipple kits, they sell rims. You can go ahead and do that with W, and uh, you'll be glad you did because they have great product. Let's talk about the Lawrences specifically, and not necessarily about how they rode. We'll talk about that a little bit, but I'm talking about like just sort of like market exhaustion from these like from the, the the Lawrence brothers obviously there's a lot of buzz around them and I think I can sort of shed some light as to why a lot of people uh, are just like sort of the like obviously there's some people that they, they can't get enough of these guys they'll gobble it up regardless um but when you compare the amount of coverage of the sport here in 2023 compared to years previous uh, and different eras, it's apples to oranges. You're not comparing the same thing at all, especially when you talk about um, these phenoms like your Ricky Carmichael's, Travis Pastrana, James Stewart, uh, Ryan Villapoto, even Michael Alessi, um, stuff along those lines. When you have these guys coming up, you have to remember that when those guys were coming up, Media was so much different. Like the whole, like when Ricky Carmichael turned pro, 1996. He turns pro for the 1997 season at the age of 16, by the way, um, and was able to win races and championships right out the gate. That's actually something that he, James Stewart, and Ryan Villapoto all have in common is that they were uh, on Kawasaki's and won championships and races, obviously, during their rookie year at the age... Uh, Villapoto was actually 17 when he turned pro. Uh, but uh, both uh, Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart won championships as a 16-year-old. Uh, not just turned pro at 16, but won championships at 16 years old. Um, but at the, at the time, 1996, you have to remember that the internet is in its infancy. Social media, completely non-existent. So you had built-in scarcity within the market. You had, like, when it comes to articles about Ricky Carmichael, you're talking about maybe you would have had uh, Dirt Rider, Motocross Action, Racer X-ish, because at that time, Racer X, even in 1996, was, it was the racing paper. Like, it wasn't even Racer X yet. Um... And then you also would have had Dirt Bike and Cycle News. So at most, you had four publications that were 
covering the sport, giving their two cents, and being able to connect with the masses. Here in 2023, uh, I don't even want to count how many podcasts are out there. Uh, This is uh, one of the many that you have to choose from. Thank you for choosing Big MX Radio. Thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate both of you for listening. Um, But in all seriousness, um, when it comes to social media, and actual media coverage, like you also have to remember that in 1996 or even in 2000, even in 2006, when Ryan Villapoto turns pro, the races are not live. The only races that were live back in 2006, 2006 if I'm not mistaken, were Daytona Supercross and the finals. Everything else was on tape delay, and it, like, and by tape delay, I mean in 2006, it was often uh, the the next day, uh, so it was the day after. That was the the years when the series was brought to you by or sponsored by Amped Mobile, which was an Australian company that uh, was brought in. Uh, they were only around, I believe, it was nine, it was nine, 2006, 2007. So it was two seasons. Um, they were sort of two years, I, am sure they had like a two year deal and then they ran away. Um, Monster Energy has been the title sponsor of Supercross since 2008. Uh, and that was a huge linchpin into the getting them, uh, live television broadcasting. But when, when James Stewart turned pro, like you didn't even get to see, like, I don't even think all of his 125 races are even like you can't even find all of them in archive on either ESPN2, um, which if they were available, they were like tape delayed two weeks later and at two o'clock in the morning. Like we could do an entire podcast on how strange it would have been to be like, say, a fan of my age uh, at 34 years old in 2002 when you basically had to wait possibly weeks to to actually have any time um, to watch these guys, see what they do, uh, and you were completely reliant on magazine articles, magazine interviews, and the way that those publications decided that they wanted to spin those stories and 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 report on the sport. It was so archaic. It was such an old school approach. Um, and that's getting back to why there's a little bit of market exhaustion on the Lawrences is that the, the media today, including myself, things are only as relevant as they are on your newsfeed. And when you post something to Instagram or TikTok or even Twitter or something along those lines, as soon as it gets shuffled down into the bottom, it's gone. It's dead content and it's so replaceable it is uh disposable and that's why like nowadays there are so many like they like back in the day i can probably think on the top of my head four or five really important and impactful photos of james stewart racing and of course some of that is to the fact that he was a young rider when i was a young ride like very young i'm actually a year or two younger than he is and obviously looked up to the guy, and that is a contributing factor. But same goes for Ricky Carmichael. Same goes for um, Ryan Villapoto, who's actually I think a year younger than me. If he's not an if he's not a an eighty eight uh, or an 80, yeah, I think he's an eighty eight. So him and I are the same same uh, born in the same year. But regardless, like 
things just stuck out so much more because there was less of it. Things are like the the pieces of media that were created were inherently more special and coveted because there just was less of it. Now you have um, you have YouTube shows and YouTube interviews and um, like there's so much pressure to have like nonstop content all the time that it just gets so flooded. And when it gets flooded like that, you just the quality goes down, obviously, because it just got to go out. It's not it's not always about uh, quality. It's about quantity when it comes to media. Um, and it's all, it's all very disposable. So what you have, what happens is you have, you have media outlets that honestly, I don't think anyone is properly trained on how to tap into the algorithms or are sort of dance around how the algorithms that, whether it be, uh, social media or even like print media, this, that, and everything, how it's being consumed here in 2023, the game has changed so much and it's still being ran by the same people, or at least very like there's either super young people who don't have a lot of experience, or very experienced people who don't have a lot of experience with how today's media gets put out there. Um, that you just get the shotgun approach is let's throw as much of these guys at you as humanly possible because we need content, and these guys are lightning rods. And when we post about them, we get lots of views. And views mean money when it comes to um, getting sponsors to buy in and spend money. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, like if, if if every post that they make with Jet Lawrence gets half a million views, well, get ready for a ton of uh, posts about Jet Lawrence because had uh, if they post about, say, Comf- Carson Mumford or Cullen Park, who was last year's Rookie of the Year, um, he's just, they're not going to get the same amount of attention and affection and this, that, and the other thing. Like, so if, if a Cullen Park post isn't going to get that type of, isn't going to get the clicks, it's not going to get the numbers. They're not going to post it. They're not going to uh, direct that much attention to it. And that's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. Um, especially nowadays where everything is so trackable, social media and the analytics behind it have cut through all of the crap. It's almost like the the Moneyball version of of, uh, of marketing, where there's a famous saying in in marketing is that like half of my ad- advertising budget is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, with social media, you do. You know exactly which half, and that's like if you happen to put out ten posts and the two posts about the, the Lawrence brothers and uh, Danger Boy Deegan happen to be like through the roof and a post about Levi Kitchen happens to flounder, where's the incentive aside from just like good journalism and, uh, and the integrity of covering the sport, there isn't a lot of incentive to, to cover uh, guys like Tom Vial or um, Levi Kitchen just because like those don't move the needle and it's unfortunate that it's the way it is because back in the day um you just had to you had to cover everything hoping that something sticks and and that was honestly i think it was a better approach i really do um but what someone doesn't want is a news feed of say like you have 50 posts um and four of them happen to to cover the lawrence's those two posts have a ton of views and everything else is completely floundering. Like the, they posted about Luke Neese and it's just not moving the needle, man. So honestly, that to me is is a, the main reason why uh, you see a ton of Lawrence coverage. Uh, obviously, they're, they're extremely fast. They're extremely talented. 
um, greatest 250 riders of all time. They are not. Um, I can't. I I can't stress that enough. Um, like Jet was. He's, he's extremely good. Like he's he's gonna have uh, like numbers that are, are rivaling some of the the greatest to ever do it. Um, he's gonna fall short of the total wins um, because he's not gonna race his fourth season in on 125s or, or 250Fs outdoors. Um, his numbers are skewed because obviously he had some, uh, he had when 2020 hit, like he had three rounds, um, of like, he kind of had like a rocky start to the year. Then he breaks his collarbone, comes back, uh, butts heads with, uh, Forkner, um, solid rides throughout. Like, so that's his, his rookie season is just sort of an odd year. Uh, especially because of because of COVID, and then he comes in as a sophomore, challenges for the championship, ends up losing to Colt Nichols, comes back and wins the next two championships. Now, uh, if you look at it from that standpoint, like yeah, he's got two championships in Supercross, same amount of championships as James Stewart has, uh, more championships than uh, Ryan Villapoto has, more championships than uh, Ricky Carmichael has. But you know what? Uh, Ivan Tedesco has two. Uh, 125 or 250 uh, Supercross championships. Uh, so does Grant Langston, and uh, well, Grant Langston's a bad example because he basically won everything you can possibly win on a dirt bike aside from a Supercross race. Um, but yeah, like just because you have two uh, two championships in the little bike class in four years uh, of racing, it doesn't necessarily mean you are uh, the greatest to ever do it by any means in my books, anyway. Uh, he'll have uh, a lot. He obviously has a lot of wins this year. Um, he'll win this championship uh, going away. It won't even be close. Um, but uh, greatest of all time on the little bike. Uh, sorry, uh, Jet. It's uh, that's it's not you, bud. Uh, and it's not your brother either. Uh, and and that's not a slight on either one of those guys. Um, I've just as as someone who's covered the sport for a really really long time. Um, and someone who's been watching it for an even longer amount of time, uh, I've just seen guys who demonstrate uh, a higher degree of dominance uh, than those guys do, and I don't, I don't think that's uh, they should hang their head about that. I think that that these guys uh, played the cards they're dealt, and they do it extremely well. They're both going to win championships this year, um, and I would expect both of them to be on factory Honda next year. Uh, which being on factory Honda on 450s as brothers is maybe one of the coolest things you can possibly experience in the sport of motocross, and that's going to be theirs to hold. So that's really fucking cool. Um, as as far as the race went, uh, Jet still ended up getting second uh, in the race, even though he gets absolutely dive-bombed at the very end by um, RJ Hampshire, who had a good start. He was right there. He decides to just go completely bonsai. It was a kamikaze move. Uh, there was no, he had no intentions of, of being able to, I don't think he, like he, I think maybe there was like maybe 1% chance that he was going to make it through that corner without crashing. But I think he was crashing like about a hundred yards outside of that corner. Um, and then I guess like, like the moto, like the motocross gods, uh, rained down a little bit of karma on him and, uh, made sure that he wasn't able to uh, get across the line until, uh, he was sitting in the 13th place spot. He only earns ten points on the on the race, loses ten point or thirteen points to Jet, um, even making that championship more ridiculous. Given the fact that 
the next closest West rider was Max Boland, who's completely eliminated from that championship, uh, given the fact that I, he missed one of the main events this year. Enzo Lopes, same deal. Um, Carson Mumford has only raced a couple. Uh, and then, believe it or not, uh, talking about the East-West shootout, so you had 12 of the 22 riders were from the East, um, and in the top 10, six of the six of the ten were from the east as well. So on by all accounts, the east was actually uh, a bit better on the night. Um, like they not only had more guys in the main event, but they had more guys in the top ten. And uh, yeah, uh, good on those guys taking taking it home. And and Max Anstey with the win. Uh, he's listed from Cairo, Georgia, which is completely false. Um, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, it is uh, it is what it is. And talking speaking of the. Uh, East-West Shootout. When we talk about the East-West Shootout, we have to mention Heartbeat Hot Sauce. We don't have a discount code for those guys, but they just have great shit. Honestly, uh, I would encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast to uh, check out Heartbeat Hot Sauce. They have awesome product, and I endorse it. I put it on at damn near everything, whether it's Chinese food that we had the other day while I was moving, or uh, the chicken that I'll be having in about eight minutes' time. I'm going to text my girlfriend, and maybe she can throw that in the uh, microwave for me. Uh, for when I've done this, but, um, yeah, so it's, um, the, the, if in the battle of East versus West, it was the East guys. And honestly, I think the, like the East West shootout should happen earlier than round 14 East West shootout should happen at, I'm going to say no less than four rounds every year. I'm going to say maybe even five. Why not? Like, it's just it's so much fun when these guys get together. Uh, more racing. These teams there's there's very few teams who don't just race all of them or or send people to every race. Uh, and for the teams that don't race all of them, uh, like obviously like Cole Thompson was there this weekend, but his team was not. Um, just in the fact that uh, more more than likely, um, Dominique Thury wasn't going to put it in the main. Uh, he's had a hard time making mains this year on the West, let alone uh, throw in. Uh, 12 East guys to kind of upset the apple cart. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see. Uh, uh, I, I would love to see more East West shootout races. I don't know, but you guys, you guys can let me know uh, what you think. Uh, maybe you can include that uh, in the email that you send me about getting yourself a set of gold valves for your suspension from our friends over at Race Tech. All right, last but not least, let's talk about the, the futures. In a segment that's brought to you by SKDA Graphics. SKDA Graphics is awesome stuff. And uh, same goes for the race tech. If you need a brand new set of graphics, I have a $100 gift certificate for you for a brand new set of graphics. All you have to do, email me, bradgebhart at burbmoto.com. Let me know. Give me your story. I want to know why you need a set of graphics from uh, SKDA Graphics. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll hook you up. Uh, we're gonna select a, light, a lucky winner next week. We'll announce it on the show, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we will announce it on the show. You're not gonna hear about it on social media. This is on the show only. So if you need a set of graphics, um, or and you want to save a hundred dollars on a SKDA graphic kit, uh, email me Brad Gab- or Brad at verbmoto.com, and we'll check you out. All right, Supercross futures. Julian Bomir, otherwise known as Juju, takes himself a second win. We've now seen these guys four times. Bennett got two. Julian Bomir has two. Um, 
I don't I don't think they're tied on points for the year. Uh, but regardless, um, based on the finishes, but uh, yeah, Bomir uh, put him like he he put in a great ride. He he really did. I, I I've been impressed with him. Uh, he he led I believe all the laps. Uh, yeah, he led every lap. Um, it was consistent. Obviously, uh, Benick went had a bit of an issue early, and he basically just like was uh, like click, clicking off the laps. He was actually a full second faster uh, on his best lap versus Bomir. But at the end, it wasn't enough to catch the Lake Havasu City native who uh, takes his uh, his second win in Supercross futures. Uh, surprised to see Ryder DeFrancesco uh, race this particular round. Uh, obviously, he should have been in Supercross this year, but obviously with uh, an injury sustained earlier in the year, that wasn't in the cards. Um, technically, he's still an amateur, so why not line him up, race? Uh, I don't know if it hurts his stock with him getting third at a race that, for all intents and purposes, he probably should have won. Uh, given the fact that he won a lot of these rounds last year when we saw these guys in Supercross Futures, but uh, he wasn't able to get it done. Uh, Mark Finnis, as well as Casey Cochran, also had great rides. Um, shout out to Tyler Stepik, who typically rides a 450 outdoors and has done so for the last three different seasons, uh, but he's never raced a Supercross, so he goes out and gets himself a seventh place at uh, Supercross Futures. So, uh, got that done. Weird night for uh, Evan Ferry. Uh, his introduction to Supercross has been a little bit abbreviated. Uh, he had some injuries in the offseason and wasn't able to be uh, all systems go for the first round, which was Anaheim 2. And then uh, I think we, we saw him uh, hit the ground a little bit at some other rounds. Uh, same thing for uh, Preston Baseflug who uh, he ended up going down um, not this last year or uh, this last week at um, Futures, but one prior to that. So he's still nursing that injury. We didn't see him out there. But uh, yeah, all, all in all, cool to see the Futures kids do their thing. Uh, they're young, they're fast, and uh, yeah, they, they just twist it, make it happen, man. So uh, good to see those guys do their thing. I think better days ahead for Evan Ferry. I think he's more... Um, focused and ready to go for uh supercross next year aboard his triumph 250f um that is i think that is about as happening as happening can possibly be so uh yeah good on him for uh, securing that and uh yeah so all right guys appreciate everyone who took the time to listen to this podcast all the podcasts and um yeah we're gonna keep keep rolling with these uh hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Justin Brayton, hopefully you also enjoyed um, this sort of breakdown that I had of the New York Supercross. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want to hear more about not only New York Supercross, but the upcoming round at Nashville. Uh, I think it's Nashville this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, where are we this weekend? I don't know where we are this weekend. I'm completely lost. Um, but either way, uh, yeah, check uh like well, I'm gonna find out. This is bad. this is great radio. Um, no, that's not it. Uh, are we in Denver? Where are we? Yeah, Nashville. Nashville. This uh, this coming week, or uh, maybe it's a week off. I don't know. Uh, da, da, da. This is great radio. I I don't even think I'm gonna edit this part out. Uh, regardless, Nashville is the next round, then Denver and Salt Lake. 
Uh, I'm excited about it. You should be excited about it. We're going to see some great racing to finish things off. If you want to hear more about that race, um, the, our pregame show with myself and Denny Stevenson, as well as Chris Riesenberg from Race Tech, is going to drop in um, on Wednesday, eight o'clock or Thursday. This Thursday, the 27th of April. Uh, it's been about a month since we did a show. Seems like it has to be because uh, of how long ago I went to. Yeah, it's oh, damn close. It's been a month since we. The last one I think we did was the Thursday uh, of uh, March 30th. I think is the last one we did. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, we had some schedule changes and then I was moving. So. Uh, we weren't able to get that done, but YouTube Live on the Big MX Radio channel. If you're not already following Big MX Radio on YouTube, shame on you. Go ahead and do that. Um, and yeah, thanks for watching, guys, or thanks for listening. Appreciate the time. You guys have a great rest of your day. Take care.